Hey everybody, InventRight co-founder Andrew Krause here. We're going to do a whole hour of question and answer on licensing and inventing. It's going to be great. I see you guys have some really good questions in here already. Wow, we don't normally get that many questions um, that far in advance, so that's fantastic. That's a good sign. So um, let me go ahead and click uh, post here so I let some other people know we are going live. Okay, took care of that. Um, so let's just jump in. Before we get started, I like to clarify at the top of the hour, um, I'm not an attorney. Do not consider anything I say legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Just uh, have to say that, unfortunately. Um, and uh, obviously, don't disclose anything publicly about your invention. Um, if it's super generic or something, that's fine. But you guys seem to have no problem coming up with great questions without talking about your specific inventions. So you guys are fantastic. Let me go ahead and turn off Skype here. People are Skyping me. So I'm going to quit Skype there. There we go. Okay. So let's just go ahead and jump in. Um, guys got great questions. And, you know, normally I ask for this at the end, but I'm going to ask for it at the beginning this time. Um, we're very close to getting 60,000 subscribers. I think we're only 800 away. I actually didn't look myself. I talked to our other co-founder, Stephen, about it this morning. Um, so that would be fantastic if you could do us a solid and subscribe down below if you're not subscribed. It's not like there's any commitment or anything like that, but it helps us with YouTube. And then, of course, like the video. Um, okay, so uh, Karen says, hi, Andrew. Thank you for the show. Can you talk about assigning an invention? What do companies need to buy it? And is it like licensing or other things are required? Okay, so... You know, I'm going to talk generically about licensing versus what rookies do, which they say, I want to sell you my patent or I want to sell you my invention or I want to sell you my idea. You never want to say any of those things. You want to say you want to license it to them. And some, you know, there are, there are some marketing managers and companies that don't know all the details of licensing. Maybe they really like your product, but they have never done a licensing deal before. Others have done 15 licensing deals before, right? Maybe the company's done licensing deals, but the marketing manager that likes your product hasn't. So it never hurts to be able to clarify what licensing is. So, you know, no, I'm looking, they're saying, what do you want? And I'm like, well, this is like, maybe they 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 uh, show some interest in your product based on the sell sheet you send them and they, they email back, this is interesting. What are you looking for? Quite often they don't say that. So don't get into that. You want to just move forward and get on the phone with them if you can. But if they ask you directly, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking to do a licensing deal. So I get a small royalty. And when you guys make money, I would get that small royalty. And it's okay to say small royalty because, yes, in the overall picture of things, it's small. But they do such huge volume, it can really add up. So they know you're not that wacky inventor trying to sell your patent for a half a million dollars, million dollars, whatever. And that's just going to bite you in the butt. You're always going to earn more money with a licensing deal. So you get paid royalties quarterly every three months as they make money. The bigger companies are even worse than the smaller companies. They don't want to give you a whole bunch of upfront money for a product that they're going to sink a bunch of money and work into. And they're doing all the work, guys, let's be honest. Because when you license, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. They're doing all that. It's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful thing for you as the inventor. But you're asking for money up front when the product may fail because some products do fail. But guess what? If it does fail, they have to hand it back to you. And it was all their money and their time and their effort. So you're getting them to take all that risk. So, you know, inventors don't want to think that it's going to fail. But not every product 
on the face of the planet just goes through the roof sales. Some are really big and some are mediocre and some eh, kind of like, oh, wow, that didn't do as well as I thought. And then some just fall off and they hand it back to you. But when you're licensing, you're basically renting or leasing the idea and they need to continue to pay you based on the terms of the contract. And um, so licensing is much better than that. But let's get back to the specifics of uh, Karen's question. Can you talk about assigning an invention? So you don't want to assign. I'm not saying there isn't some anomaly, but you know, when we do our YouTube show, when Steve and I do a YouTube show, we want to talk about the things that are most common. And inventors will come up with all sorts of like, like weird scenarios. And that's fine because they're thinking about it. And you guys should ask those questions. And I'm like, well, you know, in 22 years with students in 65 countries, I've never seen that happen. It could happen. And here's what you do if it did happen. And I, we're doing a real service to the inventor because something that they're really worried about is like getting struck by lightning. But then something else they're worried about, it's like, no, that's a legitimate thing to think about because that, that happens actually often. So we do our best to educate people. So um, Karen said, can you talk about assigning an invention? What do companies need to see to buy it? So you don't really want to sell your invention. You want to license it, receive royalties, and it's never theirs. They're renting or leasing it. If they don't perform, you can get it back. Is it like licensing or are other things required? So let's go back to licensing, and then I'll directly answer Karen's question. All this, this is an answer. When... First of all, when you license a lot of products, you aren't, you aren't, um, a lot of our students are doing deals. They file the provisional. Companies like, we don't care about patents. Vendors like, well, you don't care. I don't care. You know, your distribution is big. You guys are huge. Like, okay. And you can do a licensing deal. This belief that you can't do a licensing deal and it has to be dependent on a patent is just, it's just completely false. Our students are doing it all the time. So some companies really care about the patent. Okay. And some companies are like, yeah, we want the window dressing. Okay, let's do it. Maybe they give you an advance on royalties. And then you take that money and then you pay your attorney. Your attorney files the patent and then they'll reference the provisional. But guess what? It's not assigned to them. That's a patent office term. The, the patent is in your name. You always want it in your name. You do not want to assign it to them. So what's the reason for that? And this isn't like a grave concern, but this is the reason for it. If they don't perform under the licensing agreement, you can put them on notice. And usually they have a certain amount of time to sell off the product, whatever's in there. But it's very easy to get it back. You send them a notice. Well, first off, if they're not performing, you're going to have discussions. Like, But after like three or four discussions and they try different things, it's just not working for some reason and you need to take it back. You can send them a letter as such and you can refer to the contract to have your licensing attorney do that. It's just, just a few bucks. Um, and then because the patent is assigned to you because you filed the patent and they're basically renting it um, under the licensing agreement. That is if you have a patent, but you can write a licensing agreement that is not dependent on the patent. But if you do have a patent and the licensing agreement is dependent in some way on the patent, um, you, you always want the patent to be in your name. You do not want it to be in their name. They're not going to file it and it's not going to be in their name. So here's the problem with that. The reason why you, the problem with putting it in their name is if you put them on notice, now you've got to get them and their legal department to change the patent to your name. And that's a pain in the ass. And you don't want to have that pain. It's not necessary. It's not smart on behalf of yourself as the inventor. Now, 
Karen, if you just sold the idea outright, which again, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, you shouldn't even be going down that path. Now, I'm not saying there isn't some rare instance where it makes sense, um, but then, then the patent would be assigned to them and it would be theirs, you know, if you sold your patent. But that is not a smart path to go down 99 and a half times out of 100, okay? So um, hopefully now you guys understand a little bit about um, assignment of patents and also kind of a little bit about how licensing works there, how the deals work. Okay, so um, uh, Low Boy said, hey, Andrew, when a change is made, and you guys can type your first name if you want to, or I can read your handle, whatever you guys prefer. Uh, hey, Andrew, yeah, if nobody, if everybody typed their first names and I couldn't read some of these silly handles, I'd be a little disappointed, actually. Um, hey, Andrew, when a change, and I'm not calling you guys silly, I'm just saying they're fun. You probably created your YouTube handle, never, ever even thinking about um, anybody be using it. Uh, hey, Andrew, when a change is made in the term, answer the question, Andrew, when the change is made in the terms of the contract during negotiations, who is responsible for drafting the new version of the contract? Also, what is the best way to counteroffer? So we have a very particular approach to it and it works incredibly well. And it's not the approach that most inventors use. And it's, it's smart. And I think it's one of the many reasons that our students are closing so many deals. I think we, we had two deals, I think one Thursday and one Friday, I don't think I know, um, of last week, which is really cool. Um, so first of all, we don't involve a licensing attorney early on. So we involve our negotiations coach. So Stephen and I have trained Paul. He's amazing, um, very level-headed, not combative, if you get, if every time you guys get a little interest from a company and you call up a licensing attorney, you're going to kill deal after deal after deal. So just, can you imagine like you, you, you did all your research, you did maybe a virtual prototype, maybe you made a prototype, did a sell sheet, you did your list of companies, you built up your LinkedIn, you got phone numbers for these companies, you're reaching out on the phone, reaching out on LinkedIn and you get interest and you get a licensing attorney involved and then they kill the deal for you right there. You know, and you, you, a lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to get an attorney involved. They're going to fight for me. And it's like, bullshit. I, I had to say it. Sorry, I shouldn't swear. But BS, that's, that's not what you want. That's not a partnership, guys. And so I think some of us, oh, I'm going to put the screws to them. I had a couple of these kind of people the other day that I was talking to, and, and they were asking for insane amounts. I'm like, we can't help you. You're not realistic on what you're looking for up front. It was craziness. But Sometimes people think, well, I'll get an attorney and they'll fight. And what they'll do is, and I've had many attorneys tell me this that are students of ours, you know, different types of attorneys, not licensing attorneys, but um, they'll nitpick the deal to death to get more billable hours because attorneys are all about billable hours, right? And the more complicated they make it, the more they argue about the more billable hours they get. And before you know it, they pissed off the company and the deal's dead. And guess what? That licensing attorney will still send you a bill. That's a very cynical way to look at it. Now, I think licensing attorneys are great, but I'll tell you when. So um, licensing attorneys are great when it, for our students and for yourself. When, when our students get deals to about 95% done, and it's like, oh, all the major deal points are here. It's, it's very valuable for a licensing attorney to dot the I's and cross the T's. 
change this word, one word, change this one sentence. Maybe there's something critical that you miss. Now, we don't miss stuff because Paul is amazing, our negotiation coach. But we tell our students, look, we can help you. We're not attorneys. We'll, we'll stuff it with all those clauses and stuff, but do not sign anything before having a licensing attorney review it. And so when people are with us, Paul will help them get to 95% done. Deals fall off all the time. Don't get me wrong. But because, oh, they decided it was too expensive to manufacture or we, we looked at these other products. We decided it didn't make sense. You know, that's very common. But the reason why you don't have a licensing attorney involved is because early negotiations are nothing about a contract. They're not about patents. They're not about a contract. They're about looking at the product. And you, if you don't know how to look at a product and properly guide, yes, you're guiding the company as much as they're guiding you. If when you're doing a licensing deal, you're not doing at least 50%, if not more of the guiding, you're doing it wrong. And a lot of new inventors are just saying, oh, I'll just wait for the company to say something and then I'll respond. You will, you will never do deals that way. I wouldn't say never. You'll rarely do deals that way. Only the most completely, utterly interested companies will still push it forward. You have to push it forward. And you're like, well, I'm not here to tell this marketing manager for this big company what to do. That's not what you're doing. You're, there's this deal flow that, that happens before a contract. Okay, you don't get interest and two weeks later you get a contract. Sometimes that happens. They do a lot of license and they'll send it to you, but you still got to discuss all that stuff. There's a lot of deal points and a lot of things to be discussed. A lot of interviewing to be done. Them of you and you of them. They need to go do something. Then maybe a week or two passes, you know, because it took them a while to get some quotes overseas or whatever it is. So that's the type of thing our coach Paul helps with that you would never want a licensing attorney to help with. They have no idea how to do that. And that's what makes us licensing experts. Um, but now I'm going to say with the contract as well. So you've gathered that info. Paul's helped you gather that info if you're a student of ours or you're, if you're on your own, you need to gather that info. And then you start to put the deal together. Now, the easy way that we do it, I'll tell you how we do it, the basics, is Paul will have the student have them send their contracts. It's much better for them to send their contract. And sometimes they're not even licensing contracts, like their general counsel did it, and there's tons of stuff missing. We don't care. So Paul will say, okay, these three things are a problem. We need these five major things are missing. And so Paul will guide the student to then go back to the company and have them and their attorney change it and add that stuff. So this isn't, this is because the deal flow works better that way. Now, sometimes they insist on the inventor providing it. It's not ideal. That's why every time we can, we want them to provide it, okay? And then we bloody it behind the scenes. And Paul takes a very level-headed approach, which most licensing attorneys don't. Um, and he's like, well, you know, these three things, they typically always say less to these. Let's get them saying yes to this. And let's hit them with these tougher things. It's, that's just an example. But it's very strategic. Now, if that goes back and forth, back and forth, so you got, if you're with us, you know, you've got um, yourself and Paul, our negotiation coach, and then they have them and their attorney and they're making the changes, but you're getting their attorney. You're not, it's not costing you anything, but it's not just about saving money. It's about, um, it's more importantly about um, not killing the deal. So there's that back and forth and back and forth, okay? So um, then when you get to that certain point, Paul tells our students, look, this is 95% and this is good. And the students are like, yeah, because the student like understands it at that point, right? 
And so then you have a licensing attorney dot the I's and cross the T's. Okay. Now we, if when our students go through a deal or two with us, we want them to be able to get deals to 95% done and give them, here's some things we need to add and et cetera, and get them to do the work and then send it back, go back and forth and do that negotiation. But you always want a licensing attorney to dot the I's and cross the T's. So even though I was beating up licensing attorneys, they're great at the very end, but you do not want them to interface with the company. They're notorious deal killers or to be the closer or whatever. No, that's you. That needs to be you. And you need to learn not, you need to learn how to do that. And that's a more delicate thing. So even though we have 10 coaches, we have one negotiation coach. It's such a specialty and it takes some experience that you want somebody that just does that all day long. But can you guys become empowered and do that part as well? Is it kind of the harder part of the process? Yes, can, you absolutely can. So every time you get interest, you're not calling a licensing attorney, but you're like, well, let's go back and forth some of these major deal points that I understand. And if we can't agree on these major deal points, I know the deal is like, okay, they don't want to do a deal. All right. Like whatever those, I could come up with some things, but hopefully that's helpful. Um, I don't even remember what the question was. Andrew, when, cha when change is made from the terms of the contract during negotiations, who is responsible for drafting the new version? So based on what I'm saying is you send what you think the changes should be and let them draft the new version. That's ideal. doesn't always happen that way, but that is ideal. And that's the way you guys should go. Um, Okay. A term, and if there's a term in the contract that you don't necessarily agree with. So you need to know for all these different terms in the contract, there's a way to approach it where you can just get it done. And it's, it's hilarious sometimes. Like, I'm not kidding, guys. Like, because marketing managers and these other people in the company, they're people just like you and me. And they're flawed just like you and me. So sometimes they'll argue about a point. And Paul's like, well, why don't we present it to him like this? And the student's like, isn't that basically the same? And, he, and Paul's like, yeah, it is, but I've, it's worked many times. And then we present it and they're like, oh yeah, we're okay with that. And it's the same term, but you present it in a different way. It's hilarious. Um, so there's, there's psychology there. And there's like the, you know, you, you can't just think what you want as an inventor. You need to think what's important to them and how you present that is very, very important. But if you get an attorney in there and there's bopping people over the head that doesn't go very well. And you did all that work and then you're, they're killing a deal for you. No. And I'm not saying all attorneys are killing deals or terrible like that, but don't think they're deal closers because they just aren't. I'm not saying there isn't some attorney out there, a licensing attorney that knows how to close licensing deals and knows how to be level headed. But in our experience, we tell students do not let, if you have a licensing attorney, let them talk to the company, you know? Um, We've had some students that Paul's like, deal's 95% done, just have an attorney, dot the I's, cross the T's. We have a few that we refer people to now because we know they're they're like, oh, yeah, you, there's almost nothing for me to do. I love looking at your contracts and they do it really cheap for our students. Um, but we've had some students go to somebody else and they come back and the licensing attorney, they say, oh, the licensing attorney said you change this and this and this and this. And we look at it, we go, in 22 years, we've never seen those things be a problem. They're good with this deal. Those are that's ridiculous stuff. And the licensing attorney is just trying to build value. And it's like, how many licensing deals do you do you do? Like, are you kidding me? You would beat them up about those things? Like, that's that's ridiculous. And they're so not saying all licensing attorneys are like that, but we have seen that. So you got to be very careful of that, guys. Don't go, I'll just do it myself. And then when I get interest, I'll call licensing attorney. Well, you know what some people do is even worse. 
they call their patent attorney. Really? Like you should never have a patent attorney working on your licensing contract. So maybe your patent attorney does three licensing contracts a year, but a licensing attorney does 300. You know, that's not smart. It's just not. So don't don't have your patent attorney help you negotiate a, a licensing contract. Really, really not smart. It's not what they do. Now, if they say, oh, yeah, I do 100 a year. Okay, but ask them. That's not what licensing attorneys do. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Brad said, I signed up last week. Uh, Pam and Heather were really nice and accommodating. Brad Cones is my coach. Cool. Um, question, is, is it necessary to get in a foreign patent such as China in conjunction with the U.S. patent if the product is going to be manufactured there? Most of our students do not. Um, I, I, you can if you want to, um, but most of our students aren't bothering. Have I seen that bite? Like our students are filing a U.S. provisional now. In the, in the U.S., if you file a provisional patent application in every PCT country, you have the right to then later file patents in those PCT countries. So are all our students, when they're reaching out, they don't have any interest yet, filing um, Chinese patents? No. In some rare instances, might it make sense? Yes. But really, they're just filing a provisional for 75 bucks. Or if you earn a ton of money, it's 150 It depends on your income level. But you earn a fair amount of money to be 150 To be honest with you, a lot of people that I know are earning good money, they're still paying $75. i have never seen that bite anybody in the butt, but officially you're supposed to use that spreadsheet to see if you pay $75 for a provisional or $150. You can get that on the Patent Office website. But um, So there are some rare instances where it's a really difficult industry, very, very difficult, where that might make sense. But our students are filing a U.S. provisional patent application and, and then going from there. And companies, I've had students, though, where the company felt like it was important, and then the inventor went ahead and did it. But pretty pretty rare still, but it can be useful. And I'm getting a lot more of that. If you asked me that five years ago, I'd say, no, that's a waste. But there is some, there is some value. There can be some value in it. But you don't even know where they're going to get it manufactured yet. Some products, a lot of stuff's made there, of course, still, um, which obviously is causing problems now. But um, okay, Marcus, uh, roaming tortoise, whose name's Marcus, Marcus here. If you don't know the inner workings of a product, how would you explain that on a PPA? Um, you, you don't need to, because if, if you're not inventing the inner workings, so let's say it's this product that's fairly complicated, but you've got this hinge on the outside. You don't need to understand the inside. You're just talking about your part of it. So if you can understand your part of it, who said you need to understand, like, let's say it's an electronic product, the circuit board, how everything's done. If you've got new functionality and utility, that's what you want to focus on in your provisional patent application. I hope that's helpful. Um, um, and Roman, Marcus is a regular too. So thank you, Marcus, for regularly attending. Um, what is the average success rate of InventRight students? We get students that license their first product. We get students that license their second or third product. You know, to us, if I call what we do experiential learning. So if you've learned to license during the six-month term with that, we did our job. And some people will license their first product. Some people license their first product, but license it beyond their membership with us. Other will, others will license their second or third. But if you've got that real-life experience, one thing that I've, I've noticed 
over the last 22 years, getting that experience is everything because we see very few of our fans with, that read our books and watch our YouTube videos, licensed products, but our students, we had student on Thursday and student on Friday that licensed products, two different students licensing products. Students license stuff all the time. And that's because they're actually in the game. Now we have fans that are in the game, but they're doing stuff wrong. Like they're not reaching out to 30 companies. They're reaching out to two or three. They're not reaching out to each company three, four, five, six, seven times. They give up too soon. Their sell sheet sucks. I'm listing off all the things that people do wrong. Um, they didn't do their market research. They didn't look at their products. Their marketing's off. You know, um, they just went out and spent tons of money on a patent when they could have spent 75 bucks on a provisional patent. Um, they're not utilizing both LinkedIn and the phone. They're just utilizing one or the other. If one doesn't work, you should try the other. Um, they're not, they don't keep going until, you know, they get a no from everybody. Like they send it once, they don't get a response and they feel like they're done. No. And even our students try to do that, but we don't let them do that. So when we ingrain that in them over literally half a year working on one or multiple projects, they now have the skills to do this forever. Now, if they don't continue to work on more products, they can't license things. Stephen, um, this is a while back, but I remember he, he called me and he said, hey, Andrew, because he doesn't have the database of students. He's like old school. So he said, hey, Andrew, is this person a student? And I'm like, look him up. I'm like, yeah, they were students six years ago. He's like, they licensed like their fifth product and they posted it on their Facebook. And I guess Stephen was on their Facebook. And he's like, how come they didn't let us know? I'm like, dude, they're on their own, man. We, we trained them. They're good. Like, why should they? I mean, it's nice if you guys let us know. If you're a student, you license something. We appreciate that. But he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, okay. You know, and 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 um, so we empower people. So, you know, if if you think you're going to license every single product you ever work on, you're in for a world of hurt. Nobody does that. Now, if you're using the event right approach and you spend literally less than two, three hundred bucks on each project, you can't do that for all projects. We have students work on complicated projects, but if you pick projects where that's the case, 75 bucks for a provisional, maybe a few bucks for a sell sheet, virtual prototype, and you're in the game and you could be earning, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100, half a million dollars a year in royalties, depends on the product. It's all over the map. That's pretty freaking cool. You know, but when inventors spend 10 grand on a patent and five grand on a prototype, every idea, you're not going to be doing that very long before your spouse or yourself or your family is like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to go broke. But using our approach, you never go broke, you know? So um, so we empower people with the process and you will not license every product. And, um, you know, you, you just won't. But what I can guarantee, what I always tell these students, what we can guarantee is that you do and say everything right. You know you did it right. You know, you have the highest chance of success. You did all that stuff. I listed off a bunch of stuff that people do wrong. You did all that stuff right. We will not let you do that stuff wrong. You know, and then you have the highest chance of success. But, and when people come on board, they're really focused on that particular product, right? And, oh yeah, I got a bunch of other ideas. And I always sell what they're not thinking about consciously because they're so focused on that product. Well, do you, do you want to license other? Oh yeah, I want to license other stuff. I'm like, well, by going through this product and maybe another during your membership with us, and some people even do a third, you're going to understand the process. And, oh, yeah, 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 I want that. And anybody that tells me that they don't want that, and I'm not an inventor, it's the only idea, I'm never going to come up with another idea, I say, please don't sign up. Because if we get you through this process and you didn't license your first product 
and now you got these skills and you're never going to reuse them. What what's the point of that? You know, so I'm protecting them, but I'm also protecting our company because I don't want somebody to be like, oh, that thing doesn't work. And because they wanted to make a million dollars overnight and they're not an inventor and they don't want to work on other ideas. Now, if somebody said to me, I don't have any other ideas now, I go, well, do you want to come up with more? Oh, yeah, I, I think I'm up, but I don't really write them down. I, I think of stuff all the time. Very creative. OK, great. Good enough. As long as you have the desire to come up with more. So we have plenty of people come on board with just one, but they have the desire to work on more. So. Anyway, ramble a long time on that thing, but it, it's, I think on these live streams, it's really kind of great because it sets, it's, when I can help you guys out for free on this live stream and set mindset, I can answer these questions all day long, but one of the big things we do with our students is mindset. So if I can give you a certain amount of that, I'm not giving it to you for your particular product because you can't talk about your product in a group like this, but um, that mindset stuff is everything, guys. It really is. And the vast majority of inventors aren't in these mindsets that I talk about, but that's what we—that's what makes InventRight special. Um, uh, Richard said, "Hey Andrew, will your coach get to see your idea to help you describe it for your PPA?" Of course, like every coach from day one is going in depth to everything about your product. Now, they're not wizards, so they might at some point say, "You know, I'm not sure about this in this category." but I know what you need to find. Can you go out and look at these other products? And I want to see if this and this and this is true. So go out and find it. And the next week you come back and you show it to your coach, you email it to your coach. They're like, oh, okay, now we have enough information to make a decision. So it's not like a coach is, an inventor coach is like an Oracle and they know everything about every product. I mean, I had this guy that was doing farming implements. I've never been a farmer. I didn't know anything about these implements, but I could tell it was all, it was a mess. And I'm like, I don't understand. And I said, so what's the benefit of this? What's the benefit? And then I guided him and he had great marketing materials. He had a great list of companies. He reached out the right way. He's like, thank you so much, Andrew. Like, this is so much better. I'm realizing now, like, that was really confusing for anybody looking at it. But I didn't understand farming influence, but I knew how to ask him the right questions to gather that info because I knew he had it in him. And then now sometimes people think they're an expert. And like, sometimes they'll get like doctors or nurses and they'll like, they buy their medical supplies from one place. And I'm like, well, I know your hospital does it like this, but see what other people are doing. And they're like, oh, damn, I found a bunch of stuff that other people are doing it different. So sometimes people make assumptions, even that even when they're in the profession. So even if you're in the profession, don't assume that if you do something on the West Coast, other people might do it differently on the East Coast. They might buy products from different, there might be other products that are out there. So sometimes being a pro is definitely an asset. Don't get me wrong. If you're a doctor or a nurse and you have something to do with nursing and you're a nurse, it's a benefit, but you still got to do your research because people will come to all sorts of conclusions. Um, so Richard, yeah, your coach is going to see your product. How can they help you without it? And then you said, um, will they help you describe it for your PPA? So our software, Smart IP, will help you write your PPA. But one of the things the coaches will do is talk to you about, here's the deal. When you've been thinking about an idea for a long time, inventors lose their creativity. Yeah, I said it. They lose their creativity for that one product. They're like, this is what it is. This is what it is. Not if you've been thinking about it a month, some people, but you've been thinking about it for a year, two years, and you haven't done anything with it. And now you're like, this is what it is. This is what it is. And if that, based on the marketplace, is the best version of it to pitch, great. 
But what you have to do when you write your provisional is put your feet up on the desk and knock yourself off and go, what are the other ways this could be done? And that's something that a coach can talk to you about and kind of help you think about. And then you come up with even more and you want to throw all those other variants into your provisional pound. Because if you're doing it one way and there's five other ways that are just as good that you're not protecting your PPA, your PPA is useless. Now, it's not like our students are needing to cite their PPA. Companies aren't knocking our students off. But if you want to create a good patent for the company that's going to license it, you need to do that. So knock yourself off. Say, okay, this is the way it's been for me because I've been thinking about this thing for a year. But how else could it be? And the coach is good to get an inventor out of their shell and think about that. And you might be hyper creative on a new product, but you lost your creativity on that one because it's become fixed in your mind on how it is. So this is another mindset thing. So um, unless you've been guiding and coaching in mentors for over two decades, you don't know this stuff. So we're giving you insider information, even though you're not a student of ours, it's going to help you. Okay. Um, let's see. So that was a great question, Richard. You guys got kick-ass questions today. Um, uh, Monkey Man said, do I need to register a corporation for inventing and making licensing deals? The person working at a tax center here in Canada mentioned that I should. Okay, so filing an LLC or a corporation is just one more thing to do. You're trying to learn how to license, make a sell sheet, file a PPA, make your list of companies, reach out to companies, you know. And in some states, it's very expensive. Now I'm in Nevada, it's I think $350 a year. In California, when I left 13 years ago, it was 800. God knows what it is now. There's some states where it's 20 bucks. Okay. But then there's things you need to do to maintain it. It can be kind of a pain in the butt. So um, it's not really hard, but there's a, a website that I love and we had them on as a speaker and the websites, I believe LLC University. And some of these websites that show you how to file your own LLC are just a bunch of like, they're just trying to sell you service stuff. And this guy rocks. He's not. There's a, a version where you can pay somebody to do it. But for every state, he shows you how to, what the criteria of filing an LLC and gives you a step-by-step. -step. The dude's great. He's like us. He gives so much information away for free. So if you need to do an LLC and you're in the midst of a deal, go to LLC University and he walks you through it and you can do it yourself. I did it myself in, in Nevada, Invent Rights in LLC. And then I got my other LLC too. So it's, it's not hard. But you can also pay somebody a few bucks to do it. But it's just one more thing to do, you know. So, you know, when you're licensing, you know, if you do a corporation or do an LLC and people, oh, I get all these write-offs. But guess what? We're teaching you an approach to spend 75 bucks on a provisional, a few bucks on a sell sheet virtual prototype. You don't have a bunch of costs. So the, the LLC might cost more than that stuff. You know, probably will in a lot of states. So when you get in the midst of a deal and it looks like it's going to be closed, hopefully somebody's guiding you that knows when that is. And you, you then you can file an LLC or a corporation. Now you can do it now. And you might have, maybe you're a multimillionaire already and you're like, I, I want to protect liability. It's like, who's going to sue you? Like somebody gonna slip and fall on your sell sheet. You're not selling products. Somebody can't sue you for, for, for uh, product liability or anything like that. So, um, so that's something you need to decide, okay? I'm not giving you advice on that. But what I'm saying is, if you, it's just one more thing to do. A lot of our students, what they'll do is they'll wait till they get in the midst of a deal. And then every single time you should do an LLC or a corporation because you do not want to do a licensing deal under your own name, okay? But you could wait and do it later is what I'm saying.
Okay. Um, but that's not tax advice. It's not legal advice. I'm just telling you what our students do and what we've told our students is possible. Does it open you up for some liability? Maybe, yes, but I've never seen it be a problem for any of our students in 22 years. Um, could it be? Yeah, anything could be. Um, so, yeah, you know, from a tax standpoint, um, now, if you're one of those inventors that spends 10000 on a patent here and 20000 on a prototype there, yeah, you got freaking write-offs, but why are you doing that? You know, now maybe some people have products where that is necessary, but a lot of the time it's not. And we teach don't do that if you don't have to. A lot of people think they have to. And I look at it. I'm like, uh, no, you didn't need to. Oh, but I thought because it, no, you didn't need to. Then I talked to a rare inventor. I'm like, yeah, you, you needed this for that type of product. And you spend that kind of money. Maybe you should work on projects that don't require that. But yeah, if you want to insist and work on that type of product, yeah, you do need to spend money. And then if you file an LC or corporation, then you do have write-offs. So it might make sense. But what I'm saying, if you guys are keeping your costs low, you don't have much write-offs. So you could wait till you're in the midst of doing a deal because you don't want to do it in your own name for liability reasons. You want to do it under a corporation or an LLC. It sounds like big and a big deal. And it's not, guys. It's like super easy. Um, and in some states, it's like 20 bucks. In other states, it's a ton of money and you got to do these things. And if you don't file, then you have late fees and stuff. It's like, oh, crap. So if you're not a really organized person, you know, you might not want to do that till you have to. Right. Um, Let's see. Okay. Misha was just asking how I, so I co-founded InventRight with Stephen. I was running an Inventors Alliance, which is an inventors association that I was president of um, in Silicon Valley. I ran that group for 14 years. I even moved to Nevada and I love doing it so much. I flew from Nevada to Silicon Valley for four years, um, even after I moved to keep doing the meetings once a month. Um, now, my mom was sick and she was still in California. So it gave me a good excuse to, to fly in and then hang out with her and then do the meeting and then fly back. Um, but after a while, it got, I, I had to give that up. And the group is non-existent now. But Stephen... Um, I asked him to be a speaker at the group. I actually don't completely remember. I'm pretty sure I asked him to be a speaker. He kind of made himself available. And then and then people really liked him. So I asked him back again and again and again. I'm like, wow, people really like him because he was explaining licensing in a way that people could understand. And I was telling him, like, he could see I really understood inventors because run a group. He's like, I've never met another inventor in my life at that point. This is 22 plus years ago. Um and I'm like, yeah, dude, like once a month inventors meeting doesn't work. Like people get all excited. We'd have a patent attorney or a prototyper or a professional inventor speak and they get all excited. And then they come back the next month and they're in the same place, you know, and so they'd be excited for a few days. And they wouldn't do anything all month. And so I, I Steve and I started brainstorming and we actually started out doing live seminars in Silicon Valley. It was all day Saturday, all day Sunday. It was grueling. It was like six, seven, eight hours a day for Saturday and Sunday. We didn't let people come back for free. We had this really cool kind of local cult following and we let people come back for free again to another weekend if they wanted to get a refresher. People are like, oh, you guys are the greatest. Nobody's teaching this. This is like a long time ago, guys. It's like we were cutting edge back then. And I still think we are today. Some people are copying us today. but um, And we were cutting edge back then. Um, but when I started checking in with people, I saw people weren't doing deals. And I saw people, you know, they weren't making the effort. And they were just kind of like, 
festering and just playing with the the information. And I was like, I said, Stephen, I said, I'm not into this. I know people love us and they think we're great. That the information is great, but people aren't closing deals. And he's like, well, what's the solution? I said, we need to coach. He's like, who's going to do that, Andrew? I'm like, I'm going to do it. You're going to be the negotiation coach. That's how it was when we started. I'm going to be our first coach. And that's when people started doing deals. So we found that the information isn't enough. The handholding, the guidance, the the details, those little details were in the mindset is, is everything. So that's how InventRight got started. And here we are 22 years later. I got 23 employees. We have students in over 65 countries. Um, we got 10 coaches, a negotiation coach. Um, and we got, we're closing more deals than anybody else in the face of the planet. Um, doing grassroots licensing, inventors licensing to big companies. These invention scam promotion companies, they don't do licensing deals. They just take people's money. And then there are some inventor, other inventor coaches. I never see them do licensing deals, you know, but we're doing deals all the time. Like I said, we had one on Thursday and one on Friday. It's pretty cool. Um, so we got it down. Now, even though I'm saying we got it down to a science, if you, if you ever feel like about anything, I got it down. I know everything about everything about it. You're in trouble because you can always do something different. So Steve and I are very proud that we're very current too. We're constantly changing our techniques and approaches. The basics are the same, but there's always little tweaks we're constantly making over the years. So that's a little bit of the history, Misha. Um, uh, Derek said, Andrew, can you freelance for a company that you are actively negotiating licensing with, or is that a conflict of interest? That can be problematic, but it can also be great. So um, I've had a few students of ours that are industrial designers. Those are, those are industrial designers are people that were trained in college to design products. Now they don't know anything about licensing 99 times out of 100. Um, before they come to us, but that's where the missing piece, right? Because they didn't learn about licensing in school, but they, they can make beautiful products and stuff. And I've had a few of them get taken advantage by the licensee. It's like the company has these people, but they asked the inventor to do it. So that could be a little slippery slope. Um, and also, you know, like if they're just asking you to research something, are you going to ask for a consulting fee? You're just trying to, if you're just trying to put together enough stuff for them to go, yeah, we want to license this, you shouldn't be asking for consulting fees. Um, also, if you do a licensing deal and then you're doing consulting, it can be a way of them paying you a couple thousand dollars instead of maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars on the licensing deal. So it could be a very delicate balance and a slippery slope. Um, uh, but I have had students successfully kind of navigate that. They license a product, but then sometimes the company's like, hey, can you think up a product for this? And I would always approach it, I would always prefer to say, Yes, I can, but I want to do a licensing deal if I come up with something. But then they presented you with the problem, you know, but do you really want to get a couple grand for something or do you want to get tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know? So you got to be really careful with that. Um, but it is possible. And yeah, you can get a gig doing that and you can do some freelancing. But what are the terms? You're going to get some money and a royalty, just a royalty, just money. It's, it's, it's delicate. And you start going down that path and you can't go back. You know, so I would really uh, finally define it. If you're an event rights student and you're finding yourself in that situation, you know, I would definitely call me and ask me and I can guide you because I've, I've helped students navigate that. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, Brad said, is it a good idea to make a second video describing in more detail and explaining the product to have ready to use after the initial interest is established? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Brad. So Sometimes you got a sell sheet, maybe a video too. It's more like a marketing video. 
but then they, you know they're going to like, maybe you just know like, oh, this product, they're going to want more details. So now you make a short, uh, the, the, the marketing video should be under 60 seconds, minute and a half max, okay? But maybe you know they're going to want more details. And you make another video that's maybe, you don't want to do any of this up front ever, but maybe it's like eight minutes. And you're like making a presentation. Well, there's this, and I think you could solve this by this. And you're talking about like, the, the prototype or how things could be handled or things like that. Yes, that can be smart. You can also make that after you get that initial interest. And I wouldn't send it to them though, until you've had your first call with them, because they might present you with certain problems. You're like, let me think on that. And then you make a video, handle some of the other stuff, but then it handles like it directly addresses the things that they said. And then you send it to them. Because the, the great thing about a video is you're not going to get nervous. And if you do, you just click stop and you record it again. And then you look at it and you go, oh, I did a good job with that. I feel confident. I presented it well. And you send that. So I think that's a great idea, Brad. But um, a lot of times I would probably wait until you got some interest and after you've done your first call with them because you want to establish rapport. Um, because getting on that first call is critical because they realize, I know I have a weird way of saying this, but you're a person. You're just this nameless, faceless email inventor but once you get on the phone with them and they're like oh yeah he seems nice i can work with him and and also getting them to talk about your invention you're pulling them into your world and you're getting them involved and if you're just sending them a video with more info now they're deciding on their own there's no interaction so i love it i think it's a great idea but i wouldn't do it until you've done your first call with them most of the time there might be some exceptions so that's a you guys have really great questions today um, wow, I'm not going to be able to get to them all, guys. We only got 14 minutes left. But and if you didn't get your question answered and you're not an event rights student, which most of you aren't here, um, and you're like, damn, Andrew, I'm so upset you didn't answer my question. Well, show up earlier at the top of the hour, and I'm more likely to get to it, you know. Um okay. Uh Gal said. Uh, how can I grow my email list, not just with ads? How can I get legit interest reached out to blogs? So, Gal, you're completely going about um, if you're trying to license. What we're all about here is licensing. So you're not going to reach out to blogs. You're not going to publicly disclose your product. You're going to license it to a large company that has distribution in large retailers or distributors. Okay. So let's say you got a new shovel innovation and you notice, Hey, that company makes shovels and Lowe's and that one's in Home Depot and that one's over at Orchard Supply. And you're going to reach out to those shovel companies so you can get it in those places. Okay. So that doesn't involve you reaching out to blogs and it doesn't involve an email list. You're going to find most of these people on LinkedIn um, and directly looking at their websites and figuring out their email address and emailing them and calling them. So um, realize you got this licensing option where you're not building an email list and you're not placing ads. So if you just kind of showed up to this and you're like, I don't know what licensing is, watch our channel more, uh, go to the mage page, step in InventRight TV, and then you click on the little InventRight logo and don't do it now. Hopefully finish the watch, rest, watching the rest of the show and you'll see our list. And then you can search just our site. You know, you could type in the basics of licensing or something like that. I don't know if that's one of the titles. With 800 plus videos, it probably is. Um, understand the basics of licensing. Maybe you already do, but you've decided to venture. But we don't talk about venturing and selling the product yourself. We talk about licensing, getting some big company to do all the work. Okay. Hmm. 
Richard said, do you have to travel to trade show promote the product once it's con contracted by a company? No, usually that's what, um, but I'll give you an exception. Usually that's what um, the companies do. They, they have manufacturers rep that visits retailers. They have sales teams that go to trade shows and then the retailers are walking around. That's their job. But like, for example, Mike, who did this, this push and hang, this is to hang picture frames and it puts the, the nail right back here and then it has the level on it. And then, you know, you adjust it and you push it and then you just hang the picture. Really cool product. So I, I think Mike's not doing it anymore, but after he licensed that, he was, every time I go to the hardware show and the houseware show, he was right there. The company actually was okay with him being in the booth and helping as a salesperson. He's a good pitch man um, selling the product. Um, if you're like a super awkward inventor, which is fine, you're not socially adept, you know, you probably shouldn't be asking the company to be in the booth. You know, they might be okay with it. You might be present, but, and I wouldn't say that's typical or normal. You're not a sale, but if you want to do things to help them, some companies are very open to that. Um, we have, well, I can't raise it up here right now, but we have a student that licensed to a company and they totally, they're like, no, we don't want you mentioning anything about you being the inventor on social media. I wouldn't, I don't find that that's typical these days. Some of them are in, more in between. And then some are like um, Mike's uh, licensee with the push and hang where they're like, yeah, like come to the show. You can help pitch when people come up the booth, you can show them the product, you know, you got to let the other salespeople pitch their other products too. But um, so, yeah, I think uh, that is possible, but I wouldn't say it's common, but it's common that, a lot of companies are open to some way for you helping out if you want to. But the whole reason you're licensing to this huge company is because they have all that in place. But if you can help, you can do things as an inventor that is intriguing to the public that they can't do. You're the little guy. You license this product. It's an interesting story if they're okay with you doing media in that respect. But you, you want to ask them about it. Um, and they may even put something in the contract that they don't want you to do. And I don't see that very often, but you need to talk to them about it. You don't want to piss them off. Right. You know, so that's something you discuss. Uh, Brad said, I know it's not smart to only deal with one company if they show interest. However, is it okay to give a company a head start, maybe a week if you really want to license to that company? Yeah. I, so what, what's Brad saying is, you know, you got 30 companies. One of the biggest mistakes our non-students and our students try to make, our coaches don't let them make it, is they get interest from a company and they're like, oh, these are my guys. And the coach is like, mm, you don't know yet. It's, it's normal for some of our students to get interest from two, three, four, five, six companies. Initial interest. It's not a closed deal. And then others just get interest from one and some get interest from none, you know. And so... But if so, let's say in this scenario, you get interest and there's a, oh, we need to get some quotes overseas and then we need to do this and two and a half months pass. OK. And they're like, ah, we decide we're not interested. You're like, crap, two and a half months. OK. So then you reach out to five more and then you get interest from another one and you do you make the same mistake. And yes, that is a mistake. And now a month and a half passes and they need to do some of the same stuff. Take a look and bureaucracy here or there. Ah, oh, we decide we're not interested. This thing is taking freaking forever. So it should really be the vast majority of the time. Again, I'm making a general statement, like a shotgun blast, getting it out there to everybody. Okay. And seeing what the interest level is. Um, and it's okay. And it's normal. And you shouldn't be nervous. Our students are initially. 
to get interest from multiple companies. It's rare that they move forward enough where you're at like a contractual stage with multiple companies. Very rare. So that's why it's very smart to continue. Now, what Brad's saying is I want to give this company a head start a week or whatever. And, and I had scenarios where I'm like, well, this is looking really good. Okay, fine. Give them another couple of weeks. So I'm not saying never do it. It really depends on the scenario. And that's great where it's to have a coach or a negotiation coach can kind of gauge it and tell you when to do that. But as a general rule, shotgun blast getting out to everybody. Um, you know, people are so excited that a particular company is showing interest. You feel this loyal. You have no loyalty to them until they sign. Okay. Um, and, and it's just going to take you freaking forever if you do that. But Brad, yeah, I think it's okay sometimes if you want to give them a little bit of a head start or something like that. And, and we, I've seen scenarios where I've said to the student, like, oh, this is looking pretty good. But sometimes just as soon as you get any interest, like, oh, I'll take a look at this. They're like, oh, these are my guys. I'm just going to stop calling everybody else. No, big, big mistake. Giant time suck. And you start getting, inventors start to get this weird energy when they're sitting around too long waiting for one company. It's not good. One of the best things to do um, is to contact more companies, keep yourself busy. Then you don't have all this anxiety about that one that is still reviewing it. You know, and you move forward with everyone as if the others don't exist and you do not pit them against each other. You do not have them talk about each other. You don't mention anything about each other. Big mistake. Don't do that. Okay. Now, if they ask you, say, yeah, of course, I'm shopping around. Of course I am, you know. Um, and, and so if they ask, be honest, but don't mention it if they don't. Don't, don't do that. And definitely don't mention particular companies. Um, Johnny said, is a similar way to get a provisional patent in the UK? Johnny, we have tons of students in the UK, and they just get a US provisional patent. Uh, UK is part of the PCT Patent Cooperation Treaty as well as the US. So in a roundabout way, a US provisional is your provisional in the UK, kind of. Um, that's not legal speak, but that's kind of the way it works, okay? So um, just get a U.S. provisional. No matter where you are in the world, just get a U.S. provisional, okay? Um, and the other thing that I'll say is if you just focus on the U.S., I mean, sorry, if you just focus on the U.K., it would be a big, big mistake. U.S. and Canada, way more likely licensed there. Europe, plenty of students licensing there. Other countries, not as much. Um, so don't ever focus just on your home country. Um, and hey, if you're in the US, I don't think enough of our students reach out to some UK and European companies, but you're way more likely to license the US or Canada or Asian companies or uh, European companies or companies from elsewhere that sell and are big in the US. That's the same as a US company to me. If it's an Asian company or a European company and they're big in the US, that's the same as a US company. But a company that only sells in the UK, there's still kind of a, you know, like, who are you? Like, you're not a big company attitude there. But I've had U.S. companies, uh, U.S. inventors uh, uh, licensed to U.K. companies. So do not restrict yourself if you're outside the U.S. to your home country. You will probably not license anything if you do that. Still reach out to companies in your home country, but reach out to companies selling in the U.S. and Canada. And those can be European and Asian companies as well. Um, and they have Americans working there, so they're just a little more open, okay? Um, I can't, somebody's commenting about another company. I can't comment about that. Um, you know, I, what I'll say to you, Paul, is you should always reach out. Don't look for middleman, okay? Always reach out 
to the companies you want to license to directly. And that's what we're all about. So if you're trying to hire an invention promotion company or a hunt business or whatever, I don't see inventors licensing stuff like that. Go direct to the companies that can license. They will listen to you. Anybody can do it. You guys can do it. So that's, that's my response to your question, Paul. Um, okay. Ali said, what would happen if I reached out with multiple different ideas to different industries with a sell sheet and only file a PPA once I have interest? There's a lot going on with that question. So multiple different ideas to different industries. So that's always good. It's always good to play a numbers game, work on multiple projects in different industries. It's nice to focus in industry because once they say no to one, you know, you can just send them another one, you know, after they said no. So you didn't waste your time. You made a relationship. They said no to that particular product and send another one. So ideas, multiple ideas in the same industry, different industries, that's the name of the game with licensing. So that's great. Um, but what you said is, I did not file a PPA until I get interest. I, I think that in certain, so first of all, officially to the public and to our students, we tell people always to file a PPA because it's only $75. You know, if you're super prolific, could that kind of add up? Yeah, I could see that adding up to a few bucks. Um, but at the beginning, I would always file a PPA. I would get used to it. And if you're that prolific and you have relationships with people you submitted to before, then you could start. Um, maybe not submitting a PPA, but officially, legally, I'm telling you guys should always do that. You really should. Sometimes in novelty, for example, somebody's like, hey, you know, you, you kind of know them and you want to send them like five ideas or something. And there's not, you know, you're not going to earn as much, much money per project in novelty. So you're comfortable with the company and you might do that, right? But officially, I'm telling you, always file a PPA before you submit, okay? And really for all of you guys, I really would, um, Ali, I, I think to get experienced in reaching out, I, 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 um, I think that's really important and people hesitate. So, um, but if you want to take that risk, that's up to you. You could do that. Um, definitely. And do I think, uh, companies are then going to steal your idea because you created a paper trail on what you showed them and when, but you're creating some possible issues there. Um, but it's something you could do. It's not something I'm advising you to do, um, you know. And for most of you, you got a really good seventy-five bucks is pretty affordable. Um, uh, Brandon said, "Invent right specific questions. How often are you bridging the gap sessions?" So we have at least two. I think this month we may have three or four bridging the gap sessions. So bridging the gap, we have a CEO or a marketing manager for a company come on a live Zoom with our students. It's only for our students. And they could be in any different industry. And they do three things. They talk a little bit about their company, like who they are, how long they've been around, what they're all about. Um, they talk They talk about their products. So they show their product line. Okay, now I understand what they sell, what they don't sell. And then they talk about what they're looking for. Well, we're really not looking for stuff in that area more. It's, very, it's really cool because they, like, they're giving you a wish list. Normally, you need to, and this is something you guys can do when you submit products to companies and they say no, and they get comfortable with you after a few products, you can ask them these questions. They'll share this with you. But what we've done is create that relationship for you. And now they're sharing that with all our students. And then what we do is we give them, we don't give the student directly their email. We give it to their coach and we say, the coach will give it to you. We're not going to hold back there, but um, 
have the coach look at your sell sheet or video first and tweak it in because our students, especially if they're new, they got to make sure the marketing is good. And then they say, okay, here's the person's email address. And then they, the inventor submits directly to the company. We never act as a go-between. Um, we, we don't believe in that. Um, so your other question, Brandon, was does InventRight work as product scouts? No, we teach you to go out. And I mean, you could almost say we're kind of doing that a little bit because we're bringing on a CEO of a company and we're saying, hey, they're open. They're right here. Here's their email, which is pretty cool. And that's a supplement. You never want to completely depend on that. You want to reach out to companies that um, you want to make your ideal list and the coach will help you do that. And inventors on their own, typically they'll have two or three companies and the coach is like, no, you could have way more companies. Let's look here and there and there. And we, and you don't need verification that companies open to ideas. If they're in a major retailer where you want to be and they're selling products somewhat in the same space and it kind of makes logical sense, you should be reaching out to them. Inventors will never reach out to enough companies on their own. So we always, the coach will guide you to make your list from scratch. And then bridging the gap is a nice supplement but you don't sit around waiting for us to present you companies and only present to those. That's, that's us not empowering you. And that would be us making you dependent on us. And we're trying to make our, all our students independent of us. And we're, we're, I think some people in the industry, they think that are, we think our, you know, you know, what doesn't stink. And in some ways we do, because we feel like we're doing better for students than other folks. A lot of people just try to sell inventors stuff. They sell them what they think they need. And, we're arrogant enough to go, no, here's what you really need and here's why. And smart inventors, you know, this sounds arrogant, are like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I like. I like that you want to empower me. I like that you're not going to make me dependent on you, you know. Um, but wait a minute, some say, you're going to make me do work. And we're like, hell yeah, we're going to make you do work. How are you going to learn? You're just going to get scammed by some invention promotion company? I have never met an inventor in 22 years doing event right and 14 years doing um, – my inventor association, not one personally have I ever met that's licensed a product that an invention promotion company has licensed a product for them. But every day, Dana and Sylvia do sales and quite often me, um, or at the very least every other day, we talk to somebody who's been taken. It's always around 10 or 12 grand, 10 or 12 grand. Oh, nothing happened. Oh, I, I think I got taken. You know, they made me all these promises, blah, blah, blah. Or they didn't make these promises, but this is what I thought. And I thought that's what they do. So they're going to sell it. And I thought it was the great thing. And But you don't even, I'm not even getting feedback from companies. I don't know who they presented to. They say they did. I don't know. You know, or they gave me even a list of a few companies, but how can I prove they even sent anything? You know, or they spammed a few wrong companies. I met this, um, Steve and I talked to this company at SuperZoo, the pet trade show. I think it's coming up in about two months or so. And we said, what do you think about inventors? They're like, uh, we don't receive ideas anymore. We're getting too much garbage. We're like, from who? And they're like named off a few invention promotion companies. And so they were in so much garbage submissions. Like they're doing pet products and they were sending them products that weren't even pet products. Just so they, the invention promotion company could tell the inventor, oh, we submitted your product to industry. And they're like, we got so much garbage, we couldn't handle it anymore. So we shut our doors, you know? And I'm like, wow, that's messed up. So um, there's a lot of companies out there doing you guys a huge disservice. And we're like, no, you're going to do the work. And if people don't like that, that's great. We don't want to help you if you don't want to do the work. But sometimes, to be honest, it takes people a little while to warm up to doing the work, you know, because it just had ideas and it's a little scary and that's all good. And I think our YouTube show helps people with that, whether they're doing it on their own or doing it with us. 
um, we want people to get out there into the world and do the work, you know. So um, we hit the hour. We hit four minutes past. If you guys could subscribe and like below, we want to get to 60,000 subscribers. I haven't even looked at the number of subscribers. Steven told me earlier today, he said it's about 800. I don't know. You guys can type in if you want. But um, if you guys could do that, that's your way of saying thank you. I know I, there's a bunch of questions I didn't get to because we had um, a lot of people asking questions today. If you jump on at the top of the hour next Monday and ask it early, even before the hour, I had a bunch of in there before the hour, um, then you're more likely to get it answered. But, you know, even though I might not have answered your question, I thought I did a good job. I'm biased, but I thought I did a good job. But I can tell you, you guys did a kick-ass job with your questions. They're really good questions. Um, so I remind you guys, take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See ya. Bye.